right, guys, we are back and we're going to start our teachings as we start going through the letters to the seven churches that are addressed to the churches in Asia Minor. OK, chapters two and three. Now, since we did, we devoted so much of an introduction to understanding these letters. I want to emphasize to you how important it is to look at the previous video that I made to understanding the structure of these letters as well as the method of interpretation, that is the historical prophetic interpretation. It is necessary, go back and look at that previous video that we made to how, un, how do we need to understand these seven letters. And since it was such an extensive video, I'm not going to go over a bunch of introductory material at this particular time. We're just going to get into uh, basically dealing with these seven letters in Revelation, okay? But I cannot emphasize enough how important it is. If you haven't looked at that introductory video, you need to do so now, all right? So let's just go into Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first letter to the church of Ephesus, the first letter to the church in Asia Minor. Chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Okay, and we're going to stop there and talk about it. The first thing that we have is a description of Jesus. And remember what we said earlier. The description that we have of Jesus will speak. It, it begins. It helps us to understand his disposition towards the church. Okay as well as some of the things that Jesus will say in his exhortation or his condemnation of the church. All right. So let's, we're going to break all of this down to the church of Ephesus. Remember that we said it basically, our method of interpretation will be the historical prophetic interpretation. And I'm not, I'm not going to go through this particular point Every time we deal with the church, that's why you need to see that previous video so that you'll understand why I'm saying some of the things I'm saying about the church. But nevertheless, let's get into it. So he writes to the address, the addressee to the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus also is the apostolic church. It is the church of the apostles. It deals with a period from basically, and these are round. These are not precise numbers. It was not intended to be, okay? But that particular age of the church is the age of the apostolic church from roughly around 30 AD up until 100 AD. And the reason why we 30 AD, 30 AD is the birth of the church, 100 AD, is the death of the last apostle of the church, and that is the apostle John himself, who is the author of this letter. So to the church of Ephesus, the church in that day, also to the age of the church from 30 AD up unto 100 AD. And of course, this particular age of the church has ended, but nevertheless, as we move through the, the, the descriptors and things spoken of the church, 
that those things exist even to this day. Okay. But the dominant point of this is the apostolic age no longer exists from 30 AD to 100 AD. Okay. So it's unto the church of Ephesus, the period of the apostolic age and Ephesus means desired. The name Ephesus means desired, right? So the disposition we will see of the Lord to this church for the most part is a positive one. And this church age is a positive one. Now let's look at the description of Jesus. And every time we look at the description of Jesus, it harkens back unto chapter one when it wants some part of the description of the glorified Christ. And as we said earlier, it will speak of his disposition towards the church. Okay. So let's get into it. He says he is the one who holds the seven stars. And remember the stars are the angels of the church. These angels are representatives of the church. So the seven stars in his hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And we remember that the lampstands are the churches themselves, right? Seven golden stands. That means the seven churches. So the picture that we have of Jesus is one of sovereignty by holding the seven stars, one who is in control of the church and one who exercises absolute power. That's what sovereignty means. Power to do what he wishes to be done in the church. So that is his disposition in the church. All right. Verse number two. Now let's look at Jesus's words of his commendation towards this particular church. I know your deeds. And remember, he, said, he constantly said he said that uh, about all seven churches. I know, I know, I know. But let me just get into the reading of it. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. Okay, so in his commendation, Jesus he lets them know he knows of their hard work. I know your deeds and toil, and he knows of their perseverance, their continuance in their hard work. And that he said that they cannot tolerate evil men and put to, and put to the test those who call themselves apostles and found themselves to be false. And by what he means by this is the false teachers. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 20, in Acts chapter 20, we see the apostle Paul speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus and Paul's final warning as he was preparing to leave these elders, he told them that among them will come false teachers. False teachers will come to them and false teachers would arise from amongst them. So Paul warned them. He prophetically, Paul prophetically warned them that false teachers would come. And also when we look at the letters of John, first John, second John, third John, 
it speaks of one of the issues that John has to deal with in these letters is concerning false teachers in the church. Remember, even in first John, John said, what did what happened with some of these false teachers? John said they departed from us because they were not of us. John speaks of a great split in the church. Remember that also in the letters we see from Paul to Timothy, first and second Timothy, Paul writes, he sends Timothy to Ephesus to deal with a lot of the false teachers that had arisen in the church. And so we see him dealing with that. And, and, and there was great difficulty for Timothy in dealing with these issues of false teachers in the church. So, but by the time that the letter of revelation, the letter right here that we see of Ephesus, this issue has been dealt with by this time. So what does Jesus says? He says, you have dealt with these. You cannot tolerate these evil men. You put them to the test to see whether or not indeed there were false apostles and the church judged them to be false. So in other words, by the time that these this letter to the church of Ephesus has come, the issue of false apostles have been dealt with. All of these things Paul talked about, Acts chapter 20 and first and second Timothy. Now they've done a good job and they have gotten themselves rid of these false apostles and they have held on to the true doctrines of the church the doctrine of Jesus. All right. So Jesus says you did a good job in handling that. All right. Now let's move on. He says that they have persevered and endured for his name. In other words, they have been a faithful church. Verse four, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. And now, and, and so there, and we're going to stop right there. That is Jesus's only uh, uh, condemnation of this church. Remember, we talked about how each letter is sectioned. Remember that. And now first we had his commendation, what he speaks well of. And now this is the thing that Jesus has a problem with. And we call this the condemnation. And he said, you have left your first love, that word protos. But what he means by first love is that which is most important. The first love is the love of the Messiah. And so we see this early in the church as and we clearly see this in the second generation of people in the church and that the love for the Messiah is beginning to fail. We also see the love for the knowledge of the word is beginning to fail. And one of the first one of the places that we can see this is in that Jewish epistle to the church. That's the book of Hebrews where they are being admonished. He's fussing at them because he said, remember when he says for the time that we you ought to be teachers yourselves, you have need that somebody teach you again. And so the problem that he has is the church in the development. And we see this clearly. In that first generation, the love for Jesus that is being expressed in the knowledge of God, it begins to falter very quickly so that even in the second generation, they don't have the knowledge 
they don't have the love for Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, the love for Jesus that they that the first generation once had. So Jesus said, you have left what your first love. Right. And if and if that is the case, imagine what it is today. Imagine how far we are removed from the love of Jesus and from the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of his word. We definitely don't. Have, I mean, it is com almost completely absent in the church today. What pre and I, guys allow me to make the aside. I, I'm going to move, do a little preaching here. What preachers do today in this so-called a sermon, creating something so that people can feel good or saying things so that you don't disturb too many people. Don't talk about sin, Joel Osteen. Don't do that because what you might do is disrupt the church and people may not want to come back or people may not want to give an offering to the church or people remove their support from the church. The love for Jesus is lost and the love for the word of God. Don't teach that. Teach something feel good and don't really teach the Bible. People don't even sitting in the church. The average person does not even know the Bible. They have no idea what Genesis is about. No idea what Exodus is about. No idea what Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way up those 66 books. I'm not saying that you have to be a scholar. Indeed, but the whole point is this. If you are indeed a Christian, shouldn't you know about the very book that you say you believe? The average Christian, they only know catchphrases. They don't even know what it really means to be born again. They don't know what it really means in Jesus' suffering, his death, his resurrection, what that means. We don't even know these things. So if the church in Ephesus has indeed departed from their first love. How much more? And as I said earlier, we're going to find out we are members of that last church. But anyway, I don't even supposed to be there. But the point is, Jesus was saying as early as then, people were falling away from the love of him and the love of his word. Imagine where we are today. Okay, but now, with that, we've had the commendation. We've had the condemnation. Now let us move to the exhortation, the encouragement of what Jesus wants them to do, as well as the warning. All right. Five. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of his place unless you repent. Okay. And we need to stop there too, because that's going to be a little change here. So what does Jesus encourage them to do? And in that encouragement, there's also a warning. He says, remember where you have fallen. In other words, consider, consider how you used to be. And, and maybe we need to consider how we once loved the Lord when we say we first got saved, how we once loved the word of God, 
when we first got saved and we would read the word of God and we look forward to coming to church to worship together. We look forward to opening our Bibles and reading and we look forward to Jesus and communing with Jesus in prayer. We look forward to the return of Jesus. We need to consider where we have fallen, just like the church of Ephesus. That's what his warning is to them. You, you, you used to be in really good shape, but look at you now. Your spiritual life is shabby. And if Jesus was to return, do you want him to see you in this way? And when Jesus returned, do you really think that he would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? My Lord is not a man that he should lie. If you have done well, he will say you have done well. If you have not done well, he will say you did not do well. And we don't want to be like Solomon. And I don't want to go into all of that in the book of first Kings, but I cannot help but think about how faithful Solomon was at the beginning of his life, how Solomon was loyal and a worshiper to God. It's what a wonderful picture and how God himself twice appeared unto Solomon. How wonderful the fellowship it was between Solomon and God. But then as Solomon moved throughout his life, he moved further and further away from God. The Bible teaches us very clearly what his failings were. He began to multiply to himself silver and gold. He began to multiply himself all of these foreign wives. He began to multiply to himself horses. The very things God told him not to do, he did. And the Bible said concerning these foreign women, he loved them and he began to build for them. And these were not worshipers of God, big pagan temples to their God. And the Bible said these awful words concerning Solomon. And when Solomon was old, his heart departed from God. He had fallen from his first love. And that's for all of us to consider. And I'm going to tell you something. I do not want my life to be like that of Solomon. I don't want the older I get, the further I move away from Christ. I want the older I get, the further I move closer to my Lord and love him more and more and more each day. And that's the admonition that Jesus is given to the church of Ephesus. But anyway, so he says, remember that thing. Repent means change your mind and change your conduct. And what? Go back to how you used to be. And then he gives the warning or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand. And by lampstand, he simply means your witness, your witness. The, 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 the church of Ephesus is an extension of Jesus. It's a part of his body to give witness to the community of who Jesus is, to, to try to get people to bring them into Christ. That's the purpose of the church today. It serves as a light of witness of who Jesus is and to try to encourage people to come to Jesus. So he says, if you do not change, I will remove your presence from the community. And of course, like all seven of these churches, they are gone, but that still has relevance for us today. Okay. Unless you repent. Now let's get to verse number six. 
because we have an interruption of that exhortation with an encouragement with an encouraging statement as well. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, this is another commendation. Early in the age of the church, right? Remember that. He says, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The question becomes, who are these people? We have no records in church history of who the Nicolaitans are. So by virtue of the word itself, we try to identify them. And it's basic. We have two Greek words that are compounded, that come together, Nico and Laetit. Nico basically means to conquer or to rule over. And laity is which we get the idea of people or the idea of the common people. So by bringing the word together, Nicolaitans, we understand that the definition is rulers of the common people. And we understand this to basically means a distinction between the clergy and the common people, the clergy and the common people. Now, and the idea is to rule the common people. Now, let me make it clear. First of all, that the Bible teaches clearly the elders of the church. There are leaders of the church who have authority of the church body. That's always clear from Old Testament and New Testament. That concept, that principle is always clear. So, but that, that is not what he means by Nicolaitans. Or in other words, as I was saying, the separation between clergy and the laity. The principle that we have to deal with is what Jesus himself said, even to the apostles, the apostles, okay, who would be over the pastor of the local church today. But the principle of what Jesus said to them as he had to deal with them always trying to climb over one another. Remember, as Jesus was getting near his crucifixion, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and, and with a request and asking that her two sons, James and John, sit at his right hand and left hand. And Jesus had to make clear to them that this issue of one being over another in that sense does not apply to the church body, but that we are all brethren, all of us, the apostles. Even pastors and as we would say, on down all of us until the very lay people of the church. We're all brethren. The reason why there is distinction made is so that order would be maintained in the church and that the proper things to be done in the church would be done. So God gives this layer, the what layer of authority to some so that the church could function properly. But nevertheless, we are all still brothers and sisters with no distinction. All right. So he's just that authority is simply given for functioning so that it hold and maintain the order that the Lord himself has established. But the problem of the Nicolaitans is they were early on. We can see they were trying to make a distinction between the clergy and between the people exercising authority not given by God, exercising authority even over people's 
personal lives. And that seemed to be the issue that is given here. And Jesus greatly frowned upon it. And he even speaks of it twice in the seven letters. Okay. So Jesus did not like that. And we'll see that further development later on in the church. All right. But we don't want to talk too much about it. But Jesus simply says he hates this and he really despises this. All right. And he says the church of Ephesus didn't go along with it either. And therefore he commended them. All right. Now let's get to the final issue of the promise given to the church of Ephesus. Verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Notice that churches plural to him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. All right. So finally he ends with a statement of exhortation and encouragement, all wrapped up in what we call the promise of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. That simply is an exhortation. Obey, obey, understand what he is saying and obey, respond to it in a positive sense of obedience. Let him hear. And then he says what the spirit says to the churches. Now notice the letter is addressed to the church of Ephesus, but notice he says, hear what the spirit is saying to the churches that lets us know what, that this message not only is for the church of Ephesus, but it is for every local church, all of the churches. And that's how we have to understand all of these letters. The message is to all. Okay. But, and especially we can see that application being over the period of the church of Ephesus. Remember the apostolic period, but anyway, so he continues to say the promise. If you overcome, that is respond in obedience. Those in the church of Ephesus who respond to what Jesus has said by obeying him, he gives the promise grant to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now we don't want to talk too much about this tree of life because that's basically reserved for the very end of the book, revelations 21 through 22. But the point is this in the kingdom of God that, and when we say the kingdom of God, I'm going to slow it down just for a minute because I want you guys to get it. That's the eternal order. This is the time period after the time period after the reign of Messiah. In other words, okay, let me just, let me just show you. Right now we are in the church age. The church age starts when Acts chapter two. All right. About, about roughly 30 years, AD 30. It's the, we are still in the church age. It will continue to the rapture of the church whenever that should happen. All right. After the rapture of the church, You'll have another period, all right? And basically, the base, the basic idea of that period will entail the tribulation, all right? It'll entail what? The tribulation. That would be a seven-year period, all right? But but now, and when I say that, the seven-year period, and I, and I say it would basically be the tribulation begins, that's according to Daniel chapter 9, when the Antichrist will sign a, a peace treaty, so to speak, a, a, a security agreement. That's the idea with the Israeli government for seven years. So that's when it starts. But now you could have some years in front of that. 
Okay, so it's not a precise time. I'm just giving you the general order of that time church period. Then basically the tribulation period. It could be some years before the Antichrist come, but it follows the rapture at the end of the tribulation period. That's what at the that is the return of Jesus. When Jesus returned, we were set up with he was set up what is called the millennial kingdom or sometimes is referred to as the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of the Messiah. This is what all the Old Testament prophets were speaking about in the coming of Jesus. All right. This is what they were thinking Jesus would do when Jesus first came, set up the kingdom, but he did not. But anyway, this period will last for a thousand years. After this period, we will have the great judgment day, the great judgment day. And then after the great judgment day, then all of this creation that we know, the heavens and the earth that have existed since Genesis chapter one, that heavens and earth, this creation, this whole universe will be destroyed. All of it, the earth will be destroyed. The heavens will be destroyed. The stars in the sky will be destroyed. And there will be a new order completely. That means there will be a brand new earth and a brand new stars in the sky. We, the constellations, all of them will be different. We don't know what it will look like. This will be what is called the kingdom of God. This is what is referred to as the eternal order. The kingdom of Jesus has a set time period. It will only last a thousand years. The eternal order is forever, forever and forever. And this is what is referred to as the kingdom of God. In this kingdom will be the tree of life. And here is what Jesus said, the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Not, the, not in the Messiah, but the paradise of God. That means the tree of life that will be in the eternal order of God. Jesus promises that to the person, uh, church of Ephesus, and all for, for all church heirs, if you obey him and if you heed to his warning, he will, by eating, that is the concept of fellowship, and also by blessings, that simply means blessings of eternal life. You can eat from the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. Okay, that is the Church of Ephesus. Thanks for joining me on that one, guys. Next time we come back, we'll continue in this. And that was the first age of the church, 30 AD to 100 AD. When we come back, we'll continue with the Church of Smyrna as we deal with the second age of the church. All right, guys, catch you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for?